Welcome to the LeanZone.com podcast, where we discuss construction contracts, liens, and bonds. And now, our host, Alex Barthet. So, let's talk about time, which is probably the second most important thing uh, after the price of the contract is the time associated with completing the work. How quickly are you going to get the work done? Um, so at a minimum as a contractor, you would like to have a start and end date. As a sub, you'd like to have no date. Just I will give you the work um, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, if there's no specific end date and there's no schedule that is contractually required, understand as a subcontractor they can never say that you're late because you never agreed to do something in a certain amount of time. Also remember as a contractor that's also very dangerous. If you don't require a sub to do something in a certain amount of time, then you can't complain that they're late. So what normally happens is that there is a schedule on larger jobs and that schedule is incorporated by reference into the contract. Um, but then there's lots of language that exists in the contract talking about the schedule. Um, as I said, it's typically an exhibit to the contract. Um, it is very rare that the schedule that's attached to the contract bears any resemblance to the schedule that's actually happening by the end of the job. So, you know, that's not a surprise either. Uh, There's language in the contract uh, in most subcontracts that says that the sub has to update the contractor with respect to their um, men and material, their schedule, the progress of their work. The intent is that by providing that information to the contractor, the contractor can then update their schedule. So a sophisticated and diligent contractor would know that when they got their, uh, you know, a week's worth of the sub's labor reports and no one was showing up on the job, they should be able to come back and say, wait a second, no one was on the job, you're definitely not going to meet your schedule, let's figure this out. Typically it's, it, it's not proactive, it's reactive. Um, so one-way contractors can obligate a sub to stay on time is language like the following. Time is of the essence. Those words, by the way, have significant legal meaning. Um, if a contract doesn't say time is of the essence uh, with those words, then time is, is a, an issue that can be interpreted one of many different ways. But once you include time is of the essence, um, that means legally that whatever we say in the contract has to be followed specifically, without exception. So the provision again, time is of the essence, and subcontractors shall be liable for all indirect, direct, actual, consequential, special, and liquidated damages arising out of subcontractors breach of this subcontract and the contract documents. So if you as a sub are late, 
because you couldn't do what the schedule required, then you may be liable for all of the damages that the contractor may suffer as a result. Um, one of the things we see, scheduling is a very complicated science, and I would tell you there's a fair amount of art to it as well. So uh, if you have a schedule and it says, it, it typically has three pieces of information, a start, a duration, and an end. Um, and that, then you can break that down into lots and lots of component parts, right? So you can take your whole job and you have a start, end, and, and, and a uh, duration. But then every segment of your job, every component part of your job, you can break down the same way. Um, so what usually we see happens on a job is that the contractor says you're late as a sub. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not late. I couldn't start on time. You said I was supposed to start on this date. I started a month later. So therefore, that means my job should run a month later than my completion date. And the contractor's position is, no, 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 no. Uh, you start when you can start, but the finish date has to be the same. So that means your duration gets compressed, which means from a execution point of view, you have to accelerate, right? The same number of men it, for that duration now needs to get compressed into a shorter period of time. So just remember that when you're dealing with your schedule. And we're going to talk about some other provisions that deal with that. Um, so what can you do as a sub? Uh, you can include in your addendum something like, subcontractor shall not be held liable or penalized for any delays or liquidated damages unless such are solely and directly attributable to subcontractors' actions, right? So this means if you do what you're supposed to do and you are, and the job is late having nothing to do with you, then you shouldn't be penalized. The problem is, is that without a provision like this, um, the, the, the provision that benefits the contractor could still uh, result in liability to you if the job is late. So, one of the things that contractors like to do is, as I indicated, is tell you to start and stop, uh, work over here, take half your men over here and put them over here, um, because they're trying to satisfy an obligation or a need that they have. We've got to close on these units, so let's do that. No, we need to open this part of the road, so let's move all the men there, right? So it's, it's effectively out of sequence work for you, um, but most contracts have a provision that says, that's all in the price. You've agreed to do whatever I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. So a subcontractor could include a provision that says any suspension, acceleration, delay, or change in the sequence of work um, must be accompanied by additional compensation equal to subcontractors' actual labor and materials plus an agreed uh, overhead and profit. So if they send you to do work at a, in a sequence that's different than what you bid the job on, you should be able to submit a change order. Contractors hate that. It's not this is a hard provision to get them to agree to um, because they understand they, wanna, they, they need the flexibility to move you around on their job. Um, so the way you have to account for it, as I told you, you know, there's, there's, there's only two ways to, to uh, account for the risk. The, the language in the contract and the price that you charge. 
So if you can't make this change in the contract, then you need to account for the risk in the cost of the job. You know what? There's a chance that they're going to move me around. So you know what? We're going to have to add in a little padding in our number so that we have some extra labor hours in our bid um, so that if things don't go like we plan, we're not losing money on the job. Similar to this is, is who's going to bear the financial risk associated with um, the changes in the sequence of the work. Um, and contractors typically in, include a provision that says, if the progress of the work uh, has been delayed or impacted by any fault, neglect, act, omission, or failure to act by the subcontractor or any of its subcontractors or suppliers, subcontractor shall accelerate its work by, without limitation, increasing workforce and working overtime, all at subcontractor's sole cost and expense, and contractor shall deem, as contractor shall deem necessary or desirable at its sole option and discretion to make up for all time lost and to avoid delay in the completion of the work or the project. The failure by contractor to direct subcontractor to engage in such acceleration shall not relieve subcontractor of the consequences of its delay. Again, a very strong paragraph that says um, any loss or any issues we have with you as a sub are your fault and not ours. Um, and we're not, we the contractor, are not going to bear that, that cost. Again, a very standard provision that exists in most contracts. This episode is brought to you by the Miami Construction Forum. This invitation-only group of construction professionals of all sizes and trades meets monthly for an informal lunch and learn session on current topics of interest, from getting paid and safety to bonding and insurance. To see the upcoming topics and request your invitation, visit MiamiConstructionForum.com. So you have to be, as a sub, you have to understand how much of that risk are you willing to take? What's the likelihood that that's going to happen? Have you accounted for it in, your, in the cost of the work? So what can you do as a sub when you have to deal with a provision like that? Um, you could say, notwithstanding anything to the contrary within this agreement, it is understood and agreed that subcontractors shall not be held liable or penalized for any delays which is not solely and directly attributable to subcontractor. You're never going to avoid liability for things you do wrong. That's very hard to do, if not impossible. But what you want to try to minimize is liability or penalty to you because of things that are outside of your control. Um, so a provision like this says, if, you, if it's my fault, I'll own it. But if it's not my fault, you can't blame me for it. Again, a pretty reasonable pushback um, that most contractors will likely accept. I should say most reasonable contractors will likely accept. One of the things that happens during the course of the job is that uh, issues occur between trades. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the example I told you of the drywall contractor that has the issue with the rates on his tickets, it all stemmed from changes in the work caused by the window contractor and the mechanical contractor. Um, so the contractor's initial position was, that's between you guys, right? So you needed to do extra work, drywall contractor, because the window contractor and mechanical contractor couldn't get their act together. Go have them pay you for your extra work. 
And we said, no, that's, that's not, we don't have an agreement with them. Our agreement's with you. If you want to back charge the other trades, you, you can do that, but you can't expect me as the drywall contractor who you told to do this work uh, to go to those other people and get paid. The way they do that is a provision that says, to the extent that the work is damaged or should the work be delayed or interfered with by any subcontractor or other contractor on the project, the subcontractor and each subcontractor or other contractor shall be directly responsible to the other. Each shall look solely to the other for compensation and subcontractor shall not seek compensation for damages from contractor by reason thereof, right? So this is a way for a contractor to say, you guys deal with it. It's not my, it, it's not my fault. It's not my fight. Um, where it also happens sometimes is uh, sharing of tools and equipment on a job site, uh, stolen materials. Uh, you know, the contractor will say, you know, you guys deal with it amongst yourself. You know, you think so-and-so took some equipment or materials. So the contractor wants to try to minimize his exposure for those risks, and this is the way that that he does this. There's not much of a pushback to this as a subcontractor. It's probably on the list of things to fight about. This is way, way down there. Um, but just be aware that it's a risk that that you are inheriting, that you're agreeing to when you sign a contract that has a provision like this. Uh, extensions of time. You know, time is money in your business. Uh, a job that goes for a longer period of time than you uh, bid for it to go, um, even if it's the exact same job, costs you more money. You have certain fixed home office overhead expenses. You have certain fixed job cost expenses. So the exact same job that runs long will take, will cost more money. So it would be nice if you can get not just money, but time, sorry, not just time, but money. Um, so here are some provisions that deal with extensions of time. So when you make a, a claim for a time extension, there are three things that are very, very important. By the way, this applies to general contractors dealing with owners as well. Um, so the first, have you, given the, have you given timely notice? Have you properly provided notice of the delay to whoever you need to provide that notice to? Um, when you submit the claim, did you ask for time? Or did you ask for time and money? And number three, if there are any costs, did you properly allocate them in your request uh, and document them in your request when you submitted the um, request for a time extension? Those three things have to, you have to account for those three things when you submit your time extension request. Um, so let's take a look at a sample provision dealing with extensions of time. And again, remember, a contractor wants to minimize and make it as difficult as possible for a sub to submit a request for extensions of time. And at the same time, if, if they can satisfy the requirements to limit the, the uh, time that they get and ideally not give them any money. That's what the contractor wants to do. If the subcontractor claims to need an extension in the completion time 
requirements of the subcontract. In whole or in part, subcontractor shall give contractor written notice within 72 hours. Sometimes it says three days, sometimes it says seven days, um, but some period of time. After subcontractors, here's the important part, first knowledge of the occurrence uh, of the condition giving rise to such event. So if you know about it today and you don't submit a request for another 10 days or week, then uh, you know, that's, that's going to be a problem. So once you know about the, the, the claim, you need to submit your written notice. Now that written notice may not be fully complete. It may have gaps in it because you don't know all the information, but at least you give them, give the other side, specifically the contractor, notice. Um, and then the last sentence, subcontractor shall proceed to execute the work even though the time extension has not been fully agreed upon. And we're going to talk about provisions like this a little bit later where even if you and the contractor are in a dispute, it doesn't matter. you got to keep working. Um, that's going to be an important component of, of one of the things that the contractor wants to do in dealing with its subs. As a sub, you want to kind of put the brakes on. We have a problem. Let's stop and resolve it. Once we resolve it, then we'll keep going. So I told you that there are two things that can happen with uh, time extensions, right? One is time, the other is money. Ideally, you'd like to get both as a sub. As a contractor, ideally, you'd like to give neither. Um, so here's a provision which is called a no damage for delay clause. It is standard in the industry. And what it does is it says, even if you are entitled to a time extension, under no circumstances are you entitled to money. Subcontractor expressly agrees not to make and hereby waives any claim for monetary compensation and or damages, including those resulting from the increased labor or material costs uh, on account of any delay, obstruction, or hindrance for any cause whatsoever, whether or not foreseeable, and whether or not anticipated, including but not limited to causes that would entitle the contractor to an extension of time under the contract documents, and agrees that the sole right and remedy shall be an extension of time commensurate with the delay, so long as the subcontractor provided notice required, which is 72 hours, um, and said delay was not on the critical path. Again, the contractor is just slicing and slicing away at what the subcontractor can get. Um, so you got to provide timely notice. If you do, it's subject to the, uh, your ability to uh, be entitled to it because it wasn't your fault, it wasn't on the critical path, or it was on the critical path, I'm sorry, and the, owner the contractor has to be able to get it from the, the owner. So as a sub, what do you do in the face of a provision like this? You could say, if any event beyond subcontractor's reasonable control delays the work, then subcontractor shall be entitled to a time extension and additional compensation. Again, in negotiating with a contractor, that's a pretty reasonable statement. Hey, contractor, if I'm not the reason the job is late, I need more time, and I may need more money. And one of the ways in the course of your negotiation that you can increase the likelihood of changes being made in your favor is if you as a sub only use vague language and not specific language. So this says, 
Uh, and, and by the way, the vague language that, that, that is best for you is just reasonable. You just always want to be reasonable. You want to take the discretion away from the contractor and just say, as long as it's reasonable. What that does is it kicks the can down the road. I don't know what reasonable is. Neither do you. Neither does the other side. We'll let the judge decide what reasonable is. The important thing is it's not nothing. It's not that you get nothing. Um, and it entitles you to something. And as long as you're entitled to something, the risk of having uh, the risk to the contractor of losing and paying legal fees to fight is enough sometimes to just get them to compromise. And that's the goal. You want to avoid them having, th them, the contractor, having the right to dictate that you get nothing because that's what the contract says, to having a risk in having to pay something, even though we don't know what it is, because it's just reasonable. Um, so therefore, now you have the ability to try to get them to settle. Thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast app. For articles, videos, and forms on this and other construction topics, head over to the LeanZone.com.